into a series this month. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, okay? And so I'm going to kick us off, and uh, I'm not actually going through the book in a chronological way or anything like that. I really just want to go through the prayers of Paul in the book of Ephesians, and the next week you're going to get Topher hitting us up with the Ephesians 6, that you're not going to want to miss that, and then Robert's going to come back and fill in all the gaps and, you know, hit all the stuff that we missed. Um, so what I want to start with for you guys today is kind of a history of Ephesus and Paul, uh, because I think we can easily lose kind of the, the storyline and the history of what's going on between Paul and Ephesus and why he's writing this letter to them. And again, I'm not really going to get into the letter. I'm just going to touch on the the prayers of Paul, and I do want to say, like, this is not hyperbole. This could be and should be kind of like a, a life-transforming um, message for you, not because of me, but because these prayers of Paul are life-changing. So we're going to talk about the way he prayed for the church, and we're going to go through the prayers, and I have found that many people aren't very familiar with these prayers. For me, um, I'm speaking to you out of the history of what I've been praying these are the most, these two prayers, so Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, these are the two most prayed prayers in my life. I can say that hands down, without a doubt, prayed these, both of these thousands of times. So um, what I want to share with you is kind of some highlight points from those prayers, and then I really just want to charge you to pray them. So like when I'm in my morning quiet time praying by myself, this is what I'm mostly praying. Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Colossians 1, you know, Philippians 1, those are all also some, some prayers from Paul that are significant, but, so we're going to jump into that in just a minute, but what I want to start with is, first, let's, let's not forget that Paul isn't this super saint that is out of touch from our reality. I, I kind of spoke on that a little bit a couple months ago when we are talking about the beauty of the gospel, but Paul isn't this you know, gold star athlete that we can't ever attain to, like Olympic gold medalist that we couldn't ever, you know, possibly get close to unless we trained for 22 hours a day and slept for two, you know, like that's not reality. Paul's one of us. Um, he, he, he would have looked, talked, acted just like one of us. He wouldn't have been this super saint, you know, rock star in the midst of the church. You know, we wouldn't have all like bowed our knees to Paul and like put the spotlight on him all the time, you know, filmed every one of his messages and turned it into, you know, podcasts. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, we kind of get that view sometimes, but that's not reality. He's just one of us. If we look in Acts 13, this is like, has become one of my favorite passages, Acts 13, just four quick verses in the very beginning of Acts 13. We, and Autumn, don't worry, you're not missing anything here. Uh, I got a little ways to go before I get to the first slide. Um, but Paul and Barnabas and the church at Antioch, which shout out to Antioch, you know, but the church at Antioch, they're kind of just doing their normal thing, but it says they are praying, they're ministering to the Lord and they're fasting. And it doesn't say it's like that special one time of the year they do that. It's like normal life for them, just like it's normal reality around here. We, you know, we say goodbye to you guys today and we come back again tomorrow at noon and we do a prayer set it would have been like 
tomorrow's noon prayer set. Paul's here, um, you know, Barnabas is there, and a few others, and we're just ministering to the Lord, and all of a sudden the Spirit comes down and sets apart Barnabas and Paul to go on the first missionary journey. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just conference. It was a Monday or a Tuesday or whatever day of the week it was. I don't know. But the point is they, they did this regularly. They came together, ministered to the Lord. They have a lifestyle of fasting, praying, and ministry to the Lord. That's just normal Christianity to them. And so just to paint a little bit of a picture here of Paul and Ephesus. First of all, Ephesus, if you guys aren't familiar if you go to a modern day map and you look at um, Turkey, it's all the way on the left, western side, western, southwestern side. It's a port city. Um, I was learning from Eliza earlier. Izmir is like 45 minutes away from there. So, but it would have been this beautiful city. I mean, how, you guys, seven wonders of the world, you heard of that before? One of them is in this city, you know, like this is a big deal. This is he says it's this beautiful city, but it's also, it's a long ways away from Jerusalem and Antioch at that time. You know, like it's, it's not a, you know, a, a short flight, you know, right now it's probably like a two hour flight, boom, you're there, you know, but they have to like walk, sail, like they have to go weeks to get there. And so my, my point with that is just like, it's, it's just not this like, oh, hey, we got this missionary zeal to go to Ephesus. Let's, let's hop over there and we'll, we'll come back tonight, you know? Like, no, you got to, like, make provision, get yourself over there. And the, the funny thing is, is actually, on, this is Paul's second missionary journey is whenever he goes there. And, and again, Autumn, you're not missing anything here, just so you guys know there's not a slide for this. But I want to read part of Acts 18 and 19 before we get into Ephesians because... This is actually where Paul encounters the Ephesians the first time. And it's actually, I don't want to say accidental, but when he starts the church in Ephesus, it's, it's very like, you just glance over it and you're like, oh my gosh, they just started a church that we all know about, you know? So that, uh, if you have your Bible with you or your, your, you know, your, your app, go to Acts 18 and we're going to start in verse 18. And so this is Paul coming out of Corinth on his way back to Antioch, to Jerusalem. So verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while, again, in uh, Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. So just remember, this isn't like, you know, quick little, you know, one hour sail to this city. You know, this beautiful little boat ride over here. Like this is, you know, treacherous seas and long journeys. Uh, so he sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. So just imagine me coming in here, cutting off all my hair to go to another place. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. So he left Pr Priscilla and Aquila there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they'd asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent. So again, this is this like beloved Ephesian church. And he's like, all right, guys, here's the word. I'm out of here. Like, they ask him to say longer. And he's like, nope, sorry, I got to go. Uh, but he took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I'll return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. Shout out Antioch again. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of 
Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Uh, so here we are in verse 24. A certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So here you go. We're building the history of Ephesus here for you guys. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So let's pause. Paul, on his way back down to Antioch in Jerusalem, just like makes like a weekend stop here at Ephesus, blows their minds. They ask him to say, he says no. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila, goes off. Apollos is, is there. He's teaching them, but he only knows the baptism of John, okay? We'll skip down to ver uh, chapter 19 now, 19 verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that uh, Paul, having passed through the upper region, came to Ephesus. So now Apollos, who's kind of been the guy giving them the word, he now goes to Corinth, and now Paul is back in Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is great coming off of last week, you know, talking about the Holy Spirit. So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So he said, In the John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that should believe on him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So this is a small group of people. They're starting this humble little church in Ephesus. And he went to the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. So now he's there for three months. Uh, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, before the multitude, he departed from there and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. So now we've, we've gone, this, so just so you know, this is over the span of a, of a couple of years. We read this and it's like, oh, this is today, this is tomorrow, this is the next day. This is like two years. So he goes to Ephesus, goes back down to Jerusalem, spends time there, whether that's a year or two years, we don't really know. But then he goes on his second missionary, or his third missionary journey, and on that third missionary journey is when he spends like three years in Ephesus. Okay, so now he's there and he's spending a long time there. And this is where we, hear, we see in, in verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. Uh, later on, I'm, I'm going to kind of stop there as far as building the history. But later on we see that, that Paul's building this base of Christianity there to such a sh strength, like a, a strong degree that this city, again, this is the temple of Artemis. This is one of the seven wonders of the world. They're, they're worshiping an idol. And eventually they come and they burn their books, their magic books. They come and they, they put all their idols down and burn them because, because of what the Lord is doing in this region in Ephesus at this time. Of course, you know, there's this big uproar. They kick Paul out of the city, you know. They make a big deal about it. But the thing is, like, Paul births this church in Ephesus. And so we see the beginning of this, this happen, okay? So then Paul's there for, like, three years. Amazing things happen. And then Paul leaves, and he goes back. And then it's not for, like, another decade that— to just imagine that it's not for another decade that these Ephesians really hear from Paul. Now, of course, like Timothy might go there and others that, that Paul would send out other places, you know, 
But the point is, like, Paul doesn't actually go back to Ephesus at any point after this. As far as we know, there's no, like, real history as far as Paul returning to this church that he, he planted, okay? But just imagine, so, you know, Robert comes here, plants this church, you know, in one weekend, then goes off, then comes back, and he's here for three years, and then all of a sudden him and Susie have to go back to their home church and somewhere else, and then a decade later, you guys get a letter from, from Robert, like, oh, hey, guys, I want to commend you in this, and you're doing great in this, and this, and this, and this, you know, and he kind of lays out some stuff, which, again, that's what we're going to talk about over the rest of this month, but just, I just, I always think it's helpful to understand that the time frame we're looking at here, that's a, that's a long time, just, just for quick reference for my personal life, in April of 2015 is when we packed up six huge suitcases and got on a plane and flew to Germany and lived there for two years, okay? That was eight and a half years ago. That's not even a decade. That feels like a lifetime ago. Like, I can't even imagine, like, Winslow was one year old. Like, I can't imagine. <laughs> like, it's so hard to think about that now, and it's only eight years. This is, we're, we're looking at like a decade between Paul living there for three years and then writing this letter to them. Okay. I'm going to kind of breeze through a little bit more of this history, but it's, it's just important for you guys to know this. So let's just say a year, two, three, four passes between them receiving this letter, which there's a little bit of correction in it, but it's, it's mostly kind of just, this is doctrine, and he's lifting them up. And then a few years later, in First Timothy, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and he this is what he says in verses 3 and 4 of, of uh, 1 Timothy 1. He says, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering, furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So that's that's like an ouch, you know, like Paul is writing to Timothy to tell him, I, I really need you to stay at Ephesus because I've been hearing that these guys are getting a little wacky. Like they're getting off. Like it's, it's simple Christianity 101, but they're, for some reason, they're just talking about myths and genealogies. Like what do we need to talk about genealogies for? Like we just need to have like faith and keep, you know, 101. Like we don't need to like try to graduate to 401 university level classes here like we don't need to do that so we, we but the point is we start seeing Ephesus is starting to drift and we all kind of know where it's going right we know Revelation 2 is coming they're the first ones mentioned and you know Jesus talks to seven churches Ephesus is the first one but before we get there this this little bit is just this is tradition there's no necessarily like written in stone on this but tradition says that Ephesus became the home of the Apostle John. So this, this would be John, you know, the beloved of Jesus. He, uh, tradition says that he takes Jesus' mom and he goes and lives in Ephesus. So he's kind of, he, he's this main apostle, the last living one, so, so, so we think, you know. And he's living in Ephesus, admonishing the church. Tradition says he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John from there. And then he gets exiled to the island of Patmos. So he has the, the revelation, um, you know, what, what we call the book of Revelation. 
And then again, we get to that point in Revelation 2. So this would have been decades later. So maybe 20, 30 years or so later. Now we get to the point where Jesus is, is giving this revelation to John in the first church he tells him to write to, which again, if tradition is correct, this, is, this would have been really deeply personal to John. Jesus is saying, write to the church that you were just living at, that you were just, you know, admonishing. Write to them and tell them, you know, I, I have this for you. This is great. Your, first, your works are great. You're doing amazing things, but you've left your first love. And he says, repent and do what you did at first. Which again, going back to the beginning of what Paul planted there, go back to what you did where your, your influence is so great in the city because you love me so much that my presence is there because you're ministering to me that, that the, the, the witches come and burn their books, that the, you know, the idol-worshiping people burn and you know, get rid of their idols because you love me so much. Now you're just, you're just doing works, and they're good works, but they're not the main thing, but you've made them the main thing, you know? So that's all uh, preliminary for you. That's kind of just history. That's Paul in Ephesus. I hope that helps paint the picture a little bit more. So when we kind of dive into this, this is, this is Paul writing to real people that he, you know, again, you know, a decade in between him living there and writing this message to them, but he knew these people. He may, he may not know all their names at this point, you know, but he knew these people. Like before we went to Germany and we were at another church, I could still tell you the names of the people there. I still have a relationship with those people, you know? Okay, so now we got slide number one. I want to give you this because what we're talking about today in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, these are one of many what are called apostolic prayers. And I would just give you these prayers and say, learn these prayers. And what we mean by apostolic prayers is that these are prayers that the apostles prayed. So they're apostolic prayers. They're, they made it in the book, which means God liked them. He didn't edit them out because they were poorly prayed or something. But the point is, like, you don't got to make up your own. That's why I'm saying, like, these, these are life-changing prayers. Because when you're, you're in your secret place and you're praying and you're kind of distracted or your coffee isn't ready yet or, or whatever the situation is for you, and you're like, man, I, don't, I have no idea what to pray right now, you just open up to one of these prayers. Uh, Matthew 6 is the one we all know. You know, Jesus says, um, pray this way. Okay, so that's kind of cheating, but there you go. There's number one. But Ephesians 1 and 3 are the ones we're going to talk about today. And then there's Colossians 1, Philippians, Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. And there's a few others I didn't put in there. I didn't want to overwhelm you. But these are just short prayers that are in the Bible that are really easy to turn to. And they're all slightly different. So they, once you kind of start to know them, you're like, oh man, I could really pray this one today for myself. Or I could really pray this one over the church today. Or hey, I've got extra time. Let me pray this one and this one and this one. Uh, but they really just start kind of like priming the pump in a way, you know, kind of give you, give you some words. All right, guys, so you ready? We're going to hop into the first one. We'll probably spend more time on this one and less time on the second one. Oh, it's already 11.37. Okay. We'll breeze through these. Um, and again, I just, <laughs> I just want to give you guys these, I want to give you permission to pray these. 
and I'm not going to give you all the details. I've got like pages of notes here, but it's really just, just, it's just to put it in different words. It's not complicated. Paul prays these things. It doesn't take a, a theological degree to figure out what he's saying. It's, it's plain. The point is he's praying this over a church. We often read it. We're like, oh, hey, cool. Paul said this and that. Next, next, you know, all right, chapter two, next, you know, like my point for you guys is dwell on this, pray it, put it in your own words and pray it. So let's just read the prayer. Okay. So let's start in verse Ephesians 1, 15. So therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So this is Paul saying, I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, just pause there for a second. Like, how does that make you feel if that's you receiving this letter? I don't cease to give thanks for you. I don't cease to make mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God, okay, this is the meat, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Right, we're going to focus on 17 through 19. Okay, so there's a couple of extra verses in there that we read, but I have found that if you focus on verses 20 and 21, you start to lose the power of the prayer because Paul's kind of just, he just can't help himself. He's like, I got to exalt Jesus at the end of this prayer. Like, He's so good, I've got to say something about him. But 17, 18, and 19 is, is, this, is the meat of what he's praying for them. So Paul's general prayer here is that the Father would give his people increased understanding of the knowledge of God so that they would experience three specific expressions of his glory. Okay? And these three expressions said quickly are the hope of his calling— the glory of being God's inheritance and walking in the power of God, okay? But again, let's, the point of this is that you would be able to take this and pray this for yourself, for your family, for your friends, okay? So the, the point is not that we'll go so deep that we get lost in the words. So although I have plenty of notes that we could do that, that's not my goal. Uh, since we're short on time a little bit, I want to make sure that you guys catch the heart of what Paul is saying here. So he's praying for these Ephesians. He's praying for the, this group of believers at Ephesus. And he's saying, Father of glory, give these believers the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of yourself and the knowledge of Jesus I want them to know you, okay? He's not saying, I want them to stop doing this and make sure they do that, and man, I wish they were better at this. He's saying, I just want them to know you, because that's actually the main thing. If they know you, they'll do this, that, and stop doing that and the other thing. But if they don't know you, it, it doesn't matter. 
I could tell them all the things and it won't matter. So Paul's primary prayer is that God's people would know and encounter him by receiving more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Really, that they would just progressively have their eyes enlightened, eyes of their understanding, or other translations say the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to know Jesus more. And really, the knowledge of God isn't this theological, heady knowledge where you understand, you know, um, Jeremiah really well, and you can really explain the new covenant with really great words. Like, that's not what he's talking about. He says, I pray that they would have the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. It's that they would understand what God is like, what, what he feels, the way he acts, you know, the way he thinks, the way he thinks towards us, the way he thinks about us, the way he thinks about other people. That's what Paul's going to get in here in just a second when, he, when he, he asked for three specific expressions that would flow out of knowing the knowledge of him, okay? So let's, let's look at those three expressions. And again, we'll kind of go through them quickly here. But Paul's first specific request is that they would have confidence related to God's calling for their lives. Okay? So let's, again, let's look at the words that Paul prays. This is in verse 18. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Okay? What is the hope of his calling for your life? And uh, I borrowed some notes here, and there's this idea of our internal calling and our external calling, okay? Mostly we're focused on the external calling, and that's really kind of secondary. The internal primary calling is, is to know him, to say and do what he said and did. I mean, it's really to internalize his word and do it, not out of a uh, legalistic obedience, but out of a loving obedience. That's when he's saying, I want you to know the hope of his calling. He's, he's saying, I want you to know the hope of completing, completely putting your life in his hands, of completely putting your trust in him, and completely being captivated by him and nothing else. Like, there's actually a hope in that. Um, he, he's, he's trying to drive home this point that you're not missing out on something else when you're hope is in his calling. When, when, you, when you put all your eggs in his basket, so to speak, you're not missing out on the things of this world. You'll, you'll actually still get those little pleasure, you know, those things that, you know, he made you to enjoy certain things. You, the way you're made, your personality, the things you like, you, you will still enjoy those. But if you put your joys first, you're going to miss out on the hope of his calling and then those things aren't going to be as fun either. Like, it's this weird paradox. You know, it sounds weird. It's really not weird, but we make it sound kind of weird, you know? And then the, he wants us to know the hope of his calling in our external calling. And, and that's the one we focus on more, but it should really be secondary. We do the internal one, and the external one comes. But that's, that's your job. That's, you know, whether you're a student, like whatever your place in life is, stay-at-home mom, whatever your place it doesn't matter. That external calling, he wants, you to, he wants you to know the hope of that through the knowledge of him as well. Okay? All right. 
breezing through. I'm not going to get stuck there. All right, Paul's second, <laughs> Paul's second specific request relates to who we are to God. This one, this one blew my mind when I first started to understand what he says here. So again, we're, we're still in verse 18. So he says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oftentimes we, we kind of translate that differently and say our inheritance. We want to know the hope of our inheritance. We want to see the glory of our inheritance. And, he's, and, he, and he actually doesn't say that. Paul says, I want you guys to know the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I think we often, way too often, completely skip over that. And we're like, oh yeah, uh, he gets glory in the super saints. That's not what that says. <laughs> it's the glory of his inheritance in you. Each one of you, like not just the one that serves the most, not the one that gets a salary for being on church staff or something, for every single one of us, he has a glorious inheritance in you. And that completely changes the way you look at yourself. I mean, Paul is giving this prayer for these Ephesians that is just completely life-changing if you live by this. And Paul is just laying this out like, guys, if, if you see who you are to him, which Robert has given many messages recently on this, like who we are to him, this is just another way of saying it. If we see his glorious inheritance in us, well, that changes who I am, you know? I'm not just a nobody now, and I don't have to be the, the coolest person in the room to be somebody to him. I'm his glorious inheritance. You're his glorious inheritance. Moses had a slight glimpse of this in Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. So it says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. And I didn't put this in there either, but Revelation 19, when Jesus splits the sky, comes back to the earth, and he's coming back for one thing. It's not to kill all of his enemies, though he's going to do that. It's going to be kind of bloody. But he's actually coming back for his bride. He's coming back for us, okay? The Father promised Jesus an inheritance, and Jesus is like all about this inheritance, and it's us. We are the great prize of all the ages that the Father promised to give to, to the Son. Can you imagine that? You know, Jesus is looking at the cross. And he says, for the joy of what I'm going to get, I will gladly do this so that I can, I can have Gwen and I can have Michael and I can have every other person in this room and every other person in that church over there and that one over there and that one over in Turkey and that one over in China. You know, like all of these churches... We're all the glorious inheritance. It's the great prize that he gets out of us. All right, I definitely want to, don't want to skip over this. In verse 19, this is one of my favorite parts of this prayer to pray. So this, is the, this is the third specific request. So he says in verse 19, And I want them to know what is the, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. The exceeding greatness of like. What you got to do with these prayers is, is make them very personal. Like, Father, I want to see the exceeding greatness of your power toward me in my finances. Like, make it real. I want to see the exceeding greatness of your power toward me in 
my mom getting healed of something. Like, whatever it is, like, this is what Paul is saying. He's like, I want you guys to experience the exceeding greatness of his power towards you who believe. It's not, again, it's not for the super saint that is praying 23 hours a day, like, or, and fasting 29 days of the month or something. You know, it's like, that's not who it's for. It's for all of us. So Paul's just making it really, like, really plain for these, <laughs> these Ephesian believers. Guys, I want you to know the, the hope of your calling, your internal, external calling. I want you guys, um, oh, hold on. Yeah, I want you guys to, to, to know the hope of his calling. I want you guys to see the glorious inheritance he has in you. And I want you guys to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, toward you who believe. All right, guys, so that, again, permission, take that and pray that for yourself. Pray for your family, pray for your friends. And then again, let's, let's look at the second prayer in Ephesians. And I know we're kind of going a little quickly, but again, this, this is just a, a snippet for you guys to take this and to actually begin to pray it on your own. And everything I said, it won't really matter that much because you'll start to internalize it for yourself, okay? So let's look at the prayer in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. So for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right, so we're going to just break this down into um, like four main points here, okay? So first is praying for strength, okay? So again, this is a, it's a different prayer from the one that we just looked at. And again, I, I, what I'm telling you is I, these are the two most prayed prayers in my life, and they're very specific and these two are, are different, but they, they have so much, um, like, so many places you can go with them, wherever you're at. So praying that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man is praying for strength to obey God. Okay, again, I'm just giving you different words for this that might kind of help you latch onto it. Like, oh, yeah, I can pray for strength to obey God's word by praying, God, would you help me to be strengthened? with might through your spirit in my inner man so I can say yes to you today. Like, just so I won't say no. Like, please help me not to say no today. Strengthen me in my inner man. Like, I just don't want to say no to you today. I said no to you yesterday, and it felt really crummy. Help me not to do that today. Okay? And it energizes us to have his spirit within us, and that's all he wants us to do. You know, he's not saying, be a super saint. Do it in your own strength. He's like, like, you actually need my strength to do this, so just ask me and I'll do it, okay? Okay, so then the second part of the prayer is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. So this is Christ abiding in us. And um, so we, it says that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Think about that as just like, this, this is asking God, help me to feel your presence. Help me to feel your nearness. I know you're in my heart, like, duh, it's Christianity 101, but help me to feel it today. Help me to know it. Help me to live out this continual experience 
of your presence in me. Like, I just want to feel that. I, I need to feel that today because I've got this and that other thing. I've got this deadline. I've got this pressing against me. I've got to do this. I, I, I'm, my mind's all focused on this and that. Help me to just know that you're right here with me, okay? That's, it's, again, I'm again, just trying to give you a few extra words to make this a little more real to you, okay? So there's, a, uh, there's this, this deep correlation between obedience to Jesus and our ability to see him, feel him, and that can really kind of turn into this legalism, like we, we earn it by doing such and such thing, but it's, it's not earning it. We're not saying, Jesus, come dwell in my heart today because I was so good or because I did 30 minutes of Bible reading today or whatever. You know, I checked all the things off. But it's, it's not that we're trying to earn this, this nearness or this experience. It's that we're positioning ourselves to receive more of it. Okay? We're just saying, Lord, help me to get more, not because I'm the super saint, you know, not because I practiced really hard and memorized this thing. Just help me to feel it. And, and, and that's just us being humble and positioning ourselves before the Lord. Okay? And then Paul uses this language. He says, rooted and grounded in love. And it's kind of this dual architectural language and agricultural language, which of course, those two, those were like two main things in that, in that day and age. And it still really is, to be honest. But it's this idea of like a, a tree deeply rooted in a house that's built on a firm foundation they can't be blown over in the storm. We all know Jesus talks about this exact same thing in uh, Matthew 7. So, so Paul's just kind of borrowing that language. Say, hey, guys, be rooted and grounded in his love. So we get to comprehend how God sees and feels about us and about others. That's where he says, um, let me read that for you. In verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. So we, we get to receive this greater capacity to comprehend how he sees and feels about us and about others. And this idea of it, of this knowledge of Jesus and his love that passes understanding or passes knowledge. If you catch anything, just that doesn't mean that it's so hard to understand. It just means it takes the spirit to get it. Like it, it takes revelation of the spirit, not revelation from a commentary. You know, it takes the spirit kind of hitting your heart with this, the love of Jesus. Like we could just repeat the love of Jesus a couple of times. It's gonna hit your heart and your heart and your heart a different way. Okay, and that's the spirit hitting you and giving you a new comprehension of his love. Okay, all right, so let's, let's land this plane, so to speak, with the fullness of God's blessing in each season of our life. That's the end of the prayer. Paul says that you would know the love of Christ was past his knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And Paul is going deep here. Like, he's telling the Ephesians, this is how I pray for you guys day after day. Remember, this is like a decade later. He's like, I'm still praying for you guys day after day. I'm praying to the Father of glory. I, be, I bow my knees to the Father, Father of glory that you would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you would be filled 
with the fullness of God. And of course, we know what's, what's coming down the road. When they get away from this, they start going off. They get into errors and they, they go the wrong way. But he's praying for them that they would be filled with the fullness of God. They'd be equipped to walk in the fullness. That they would live out their full destiny by, by being fully in love with him. I mean, that's the essence of these prayers. God, help us to be fully in. I mean, that's, that's really the, the heart of it. So... As we end this today, what I want to do is one, just to kind of admonish you guys. Again, take these prayers, Ephesians 1, 14 through 19, or 15 through 19, and then Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It's kind of easy, you know, it's right in the middle of both of those chapters. Take these prayers and just begin to read them and bring them into your, your prayer time. I mean, I'm not kidding you when I tell you I pray these prayers thousands of times in my personal life, but then also in the prayer room. I've taken these prayers in here. When I'm, when I, usually if I'm praying on the microphone, I'm usually pulling from one of these two prayers because it's comfortable, it's familiar, and it's just language that I can give to the Lord. So I just wanna admonish you guys to use these prayers. And here, here's just a couple of thoughts as we end. That as you have your personal and corporate prayer time to pray in the spirit, okay? To, to talk to the Lord and to use that gift of speaking in the spirit, okay? If you don't have that yet, pray that you get that. But the point is, is like there's this communion with the Lord as we just pray in the spirit that passes our, it kind of bypasses our brain and all the, the brain fog and all of the distracted this and that and the other thing. Um, I've heard it from many people, 10 minutes of prayer in, in the spirit can like just change your life, you know, if you can just enter into that and then take these prayers, take Ephesians 1, take Ephesians 3 and look at them and, and pray them, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You know, you don't, you don't have to, I mean, you can, but you don't have to pray against the things you don't want to be doing or, you know, that you'd be um, a super saint that would no longer struggle with this or that. Pray that you'd be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. As, and as you are, you begin to be fascinated with him and not so fascinated, you know, the, the other lovers of this world begin to slowly trickle and fade. And you, you look back a year later, and you're like, oh my gosh, I used, to, I used to like that thing. Like, I can't even imagine liking that thing anymore. But take these and pray them for yourself. Start there. And if you're uncomfortable with that, pray it for your family. There's many times I've taken that, um, praying for the exceeding, that we would experience the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And I'm like, Lord, I pray that over my son, that he would experience your power. You know, that he wouldn't be tempted by the things of this world because we experience your power. Make them very, like, I just very much encourage you, make it so personal because it's supposed to be. Pray it over your friends, pray it over your acquaintances, pray it over your coworkers, pray it over the person you get coffee from, like whatever it is, just pray these over people. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray for your calling, your internal, your external calling. Pray that you would live as a, as a worthy inheritance to Jesus. It's not that he looks down on you if you're not living 
to, to, that, to be that amazing, beautiful bride you want to be for him, you know? But just continue like, man, Jesus, I want to be more worthy for you. I want, like, I know you're already looking at me as your glorious inheritance. I want to be a better inheritance tomorrow than I was today, you know, or today than I was yesterday, however you want to put that. Um, and again, pray for experience of his mighty power toward us in all areas. There's no joke. I, I, I was here when this happened, when Harvey was coming towards us. And I don't know, some of you guys know Ben, but Ben calls for some people to go to the seawall and pray against Harvey hitting, because it was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but that Hurricane Harvey was aimed directly at Galveston. <laughs> and I kid you not, the next day it swerves around us. I mean, it wasn't a good thing, obviously, for everywhere else, but it swerves around us. If you look at the, like, the timeline of it, it goes to Corpus Christi, comes back out, and like swerves around us, like only the Lord, you know, like, but I mean, it's just, that's just an answer. Like the Lord can break into any area. Okay. And then just lastly, just pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that the storms, the things of this world wouldn't be able to overcome us. So, sorry, we went a little long, but what I want to do for, for us to close today is uh, just call up the uh, life group leaders, prayer leaders, if you want to come up here and just be somebody to pray with somebody else. If you guys want to, if you have need of prayer for anything, obviously, please come up. If you have a, a physical uh, ailment or something and, and you need healing or something, obviously, this is, the, this is the time and place to have believers pray for you. Um, but what I want to admonish you guys in today, yes and amen to that. If you, know, if, if you need to like recommit your life to Jesus, do that. That's awesome. But I want to encourage you, whether you come up here or whether you pray with somebody next to you or if you find a friend in the room and pray, I, I would just ask everybody to take the next couple of minutes and, and engage your heart in prayer with somebody else. So two people, you know, two people together praying. And if you don't have the, you know, I need prayer for this, let's pray Ephesians 1 over each other. You can take any aspect of it you want, but if, you, if uh, Autumn, if you could, put Ephesians 1 up on the screen, just maybe verse 18 or 19. I think 18, 18, 19 would be best. And you guys could use it on the screen or you can use your Bible to look at it. But I just encourage you guys, get with somebody. So let's all stand right now, just so you don't have to like awkwardly do it later. Let's all stand together now. And um, let's just, as the, as the band takes us into a little bit of worship here for a minute, I just encourage you, find somebody and just pray Ephesians 1 unless they have something else they need prayer for. Just pray that. So everybody find somebody else and let's, let's do that as we enter into worship.